0: reading from the Holy Scriptures, let's look at Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and to give honor to our God who has given us this, his holy word, we'll stand if you're able as we read together Luke 10, 1 through 16. This is God's holy and infallible word, Luke 10, starting at verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs of head of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your city which clings to our feet We wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Let's pray. Our glorious Lord, help us to receive this, your word. And to receive your word with gladness. And help us to remember that when your holy scripture is preached, in accordance to your word, that you are preaching even Uh, Through your servant, help us, we pray, to receive um, your holy word. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. It's important to heed warning signs, especially when you're driving. I I have a a daughter who needs to do some practice to one day get to driving, And one thing you have to do is you have to heed warning signs, but one of the most dangerous signs to neglect would be the one at railroad crossings. And you get a flashing light, sometimes even in Louisiana we have roads that don't have a guardrail that comes down, but I've seen people do this, even when the guardrail begins to come down, the lights are flashing, people try to beat the train, because they are in a real big hurry, and they know if that train gets there in front of them they might have to wait for about 15-20 minutes for that train train to chug along with its many many cars as it goes along the railroad track and they can't be late for work so they're going to try to beat the train well i was looking at this that a train sometimes can have the weight of eight to ten thousand tons that's a lot of momentum even if it's only going 40 miles per hour in a in a neighborhood That's a lot of momentum behind it. And if you try to beat the train and somehow you can't, you will be destroyed. It will be utter destitution and ruin for you. Scripture as well gives us warnings. And here in today's text we get these warnings of woe given by the Lord Jesus for these cities. And we should heed these warnings as well, shouldn't we? If you look back at the end of chapter 9, John and uh, if you look at verse 54, James and John, um, they saw that the Samaritans didn't want to offer hospitality both to them and to their Lord Jesus, and they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he, that is Jesus, rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So they went on and found hospitality at another village. Um, and as history tells us later on, that many of the people of this region, uh, who were called Samaritans, who had a mixed religion of a little bit of paganism mixed with the Hebrew religion and also mixed culture, they later on came and received Christian doctrine and became added to the kingdom. So herein, we have to remember that when we look at today's text, that God gives his warnings for people to heed them. So they would turn from sin and repent because, as it says here, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's why he gives these warnings. And last night I prayed that maybe some who would hear this message might turn and repent and believe. And that God would use this message to help them to reject the world and to embrace Holy Scripture. To embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and to embrace those labors that he had sent out. The main focus of today's text as we look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, is that you are to put your faith in Jesus, who sent out his labors to preach. And the first main point of this text, of this text is that the duties and supports for those who are sent out, and secondly, Christ warns all who reject his laborers. So let's look at this first main point, the duties and support for those sent out. Look at verse 1. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. So notice this, Jesus is going to go to various places and cities, but he's sending these men before him to prepare his way. So you could say that these, these 70 were going out in the same fashion as John the Baptist. That was the job of John the Baptist. Um, Malachi, Malachi 3.1 says this, he foretold John's coming saying, behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. And earlier in this Gospel account, in Luke 3, it's as written, um, Luke wrote of John saying, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So according to today's text, that's what's going on. They're, you could say they're imitating or doing a ministry in a similar fashion as John the Baptist, preparing the way for the Messiah. Verse 1 He sent them in pairs of ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was, they were preparing these towns to receive Jesus as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Um, even though Jesus had already accomplished. Uh, his mighty works of redemption in in our age, I believe verse 2 still holds true of something that we should pray for, both in private and in public, especially in prayer meetings, verse 2. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There's still parts of this world that do not have faithful preaching and teaching of the Holy Gospel. There's still parts of the United States that are lacking in good, sound, faithful churches. Um, And there's still parts of Louisiana as well. When I grew up around Opelousas, Grand Prairie and all that, the only version of any kind of gospel I heard was the Roman Catholic version. It wasn't until I went to college uh, in Monroe, Louisiana, that I first heard a presentation of what Christ really accomplished. I'll never forget it. I was studying the Heidelberg Catechism that a a Presbyterian elder recommended to me. And I read this question. Is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes, yes. By this, I am convinced that He shouldered the curse which lay on me, since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. So that was the first time I heard a presentation of saying, you know, Jesus shouldered not some. Jesus shouldered shouldered all the curse and penalty of sin. And I was totally amazed. I mean, that's what Christ did. Why would he? How could he do that for me? That God did that for me. That was a, a beautiful exposition, really, of, of Galatians three ten, and and but it was explained in a way that I I was able to grasp and understand. It's an amazing gospel, and there are people in various parts of the world, and in, in, in South Louisiana, South Louisiana, it's getting less so, but there are places where there's really no gospel witness. And we should pray that God, the Lord of the harvest, would send out labors into his harvest and that he would bring in his people. Now, in doing this duty of being sent out and bringing in sons and daughters into the kingdom, bringing in his sheep into the flock, he says here that it would be dangerous He says in verse 3, Go, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, there are those of various other religions who act like wolves to devour God's people. When I was in college, we had professors who were atheistic, secular professors who made it their duty to trip up any Christian who believed in creation or who believed in in the Bible and that the Bible couldn't be trusted. They were like wolves seeking seeking to devour God's sheep. But sadly, even sometimes in the church, there can be those who are appearing as having sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, wolves those who are called to be preachers and those who are sent out in the church, both elders and ministers, uh, or to work in helping to keep the sheep safe from those who are inwardly ravenous wolves, according to Matthew seven fifteen. But those who are to be sent out to preach the gospel, to tell others of the coming of the kingdom, Notice the support that these labors were to be given. Look at verses 4 through 9. He says, Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, maybe the first time you might have read this, you might have said, wow, you know, they're, they're supposed to go out ministering barefoot because they you know they, they can't have, maybe you read it in such a way where they, they can't have any sandals. But if you read it carefully, it says, carry no money bag, uh, no other bag, and no shoes. Don't carry them. Don't carry a second pair necessarily. They can wear a pair, but they wouldn't carry an additional pair. That's, that's the way I would interpret this text. And the reason they had this this sort of language here is that they weren't supposed to carry a money bag and they weren't going to have a bag with extra clothes because whatever home they entered in, they were supposed to depend upon the hospitality of those hosts to provide for them whatever extra clothes, food, money they might have needed. And it says here that the laborer is worthy of his wages. But I love this part. They are to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Maybe you've sometimes heard a sermon and you've believed the wonderful things of the gospel and you've received and believed on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you could say that of yourself. When you hear God's word preached and you believe on what is preached and you believe in this Holy Bible, you can say, the kingdom of God has come near to me. It wasn't just for this time. We can, say to our, we can say that the kingdom of God has come near to me. And it says in today's text, toward the end, in verse 16, when you listen to true preaching in accordance to God's holy word, you're not merely listening to the voice of the one who is sent, but to the voice of the one who sent him. Now, our God is gathering in his sheep. He's gathering his sheep into his fold and he's sending out his, his sent ones, his laborers to do this gathering in. But there are some who are more like stubborn goats and they don't want to be taken in and gathered in because they don't want to he- heed the warnings. This leads to our second main point. Christ warns all who reject his laborers. Look at verses 10 through 11. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So the kingdom of God has come near, but what? You've rejected it. The kingdom of God has come near. The grace of God, the mercy of God through Christ has come near, yet you've rejected it. Yet instead you chose the way and the path of death and damnation. There will always be those who reject God's word, his gospel, his labors, and even you as his people. Those who reject his labors don't merely reject them. They are rejecting the one who sent them. Now, we can say that there are many uh, reasons why some believe that they can reject Jesus because they can believe in some other form of salvation. It might be because they believe in Allah and Muhammad as his prophet, It might be because they believe in Buddha or some other false religion, which is all uh, the figments of man's imagination. But there's still yet others who reject... This is the most prominent religion of, I would say, of our culture. It's the religion of the man on the street who says, I don't need Christ because I'm a good person. They have a religion of works because they believe... Out of ob- because they haven't done anything heinous, they haven't really committed any big sins, they say, well, I'm a good person. I can, I'll be able to be okay on that day of judgment in God's sight. But brothers and sisters, to reject the offer of Jesus Christ as Savior, that in itself is the height of sin, and it is to spit in God's face. God offers you his only begotten son to suffer and die for your sins, to suffer the wrath and curse due in your place, yet you say, I'm a good person, I don't need him. If you say, I don't need him and I don't want him, you're spitting in the face of the Father. He offered the greatest gift ever offered to all mankind in giving His only begotten Son to suffer and die for sinners. Yet people say, I don't want that. Imagine a police officer who goes and and when you're in harm's way, he gets in front of a gunman who's shooting at you and he takes four bullets in the chest and... some of the bullets get him, and he has to go, and other bullets maybe get protected by his bulletproof vest. But he ends up going to the hospital, has to have surgery, has to have months of rehab, and finally the police officer comes and visits you, and you say, You didn't have to do that. I could have taken care of myself. What would, the, nobody would say anything so. Stupid and ridiculous. But that's what they say about Jesus. I don't need you. You died and suffered on the cross, but I don't need what you've done. You you were, you oh Christ, died on the cross, but I don't need you or your cross. I'm going to take my chances on my own. It's, spiritual suicide of the worst degree. It is damnation to one's soul to reject the offering of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But we know that people cannot receive and believe on on Christ unless they're first born again. They have to first have the work of the Holy Spirit to give them new life, And unless God opens their hearts and minds to receive and believe, they won't receive Jesus as he's offered in the gospel. But what Jesus says next concerning these cities who reject him, this also applies to individuals who reject him as well and reject his labors. Look at verses 12 through 15. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city, or you could say for that person. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. Oh, why mention Tyre and Sidon? Tyre and Sidon were were city-states, we can call them of the Phoenician people, and it was in the northern part of the Promised Land. And if the people, when they first conquested the Promised Land under Joshua, would have taken these cities, you wouldn't have had that thorn in their side among Tyre and Sidon, which caused Israel to stumble. In Judges chapter 1, verse 31, we find out that Asher failed to drive out the inhabitants of Sidon. And then later on in the book of Judges, the people of Israel commit spiritual adultery because they're worshipping the gods of the Sidonians. And God punishes them and judges them. The infamous Queen Jezebel was also a Sidonian. All that wouldn't have happened if they would have taken that land um, during their initial conquest. But those cities, those Hebrew cities listed in today's text, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, those cities which rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah, Those cities had a worse condition on that day of judgment than these two pagan cities because they sinned against greater light and greater privilege. See, Jesus didn't have the same ministry performing miracles in Tyre and Sidon. If he did, Jesus says, they would have repented and believed. But even Capernaum, Capernaum was really, you could say, was the home base of Jesus during his Galilean ministry. He's done more miracles in Capernaum than probably any other city in all of of the promised land. Yet they themselves, to a large degree, the Jews of Capernaum to a large degree, rejected their own Messiah. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. And you go to Capernaum now, if you look at it on, a on, if you Google Capernaum pictures, most of the city is still a bunch of stone ruins. The only buildings you have there is one, one I think, Catholic church of St. Peter, something or another. And then you have other buildings, which is really tailored for tourists. It's no longer a city where people made a living. It's a tourist attraction with a bunch of ruins. But the ruins of that city, you could say it's a small picture of the greater desolation and eternal ruin that comes upon all those who reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, God calls you to believe in Jesus Christ, to put your faith in Jesus Christ who sent out his labors to preach. Jesus sent out his labors to preach because the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out labors into his harvest, especially in those regions of both of America and throughout the world that do not have a gospel witness. Now those who are given the privilege to teach and to preach are called to be supported because it says they are worthy of their wages. And brothers and sisters, I am I'm very thankful that I could have a full-time ministry t- to minister and preach in this church. What a, it's a wonderful privilege. And I'm very thankful for all of your support. But Jesus here, in today's text, warns against those who reject his labors. He gives these warnings because he wants you to flee unbelief. To ignore an earthly warning can cause you to have loss of property, loss of life. But to not heed the eternal warnings of the Holy Gospel won't just cost you finances, property, or even the loss of life. It can cost you the very loss of your own soul. You'll lose both your soul and body in hell forever if you don't heed the warnings of Scripture. To reject the the laborers is to reject the one who sent him. To reject the God who sent even his son. Now maybe... You believe, but your faith wavers. I can sometimes I I've had that experience. Your faith wavers, but what you have to say is, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me not to have this wavering faith. Help me to put my faith wholly and fully in Jesus Christ, that He's paid for all my sins, that He's died not for some but for all my sins and that because of that he's also granted unto me his righteousness because he's obeyed the law for me. Pray to have that faith and to grow in your assurance of salvation. Let's pray to that endeavor. Oh Father, we, we pray that you would help us to grow in our assurance that Jesus Christ has died and and taken the curse which was due unto us, that he's paid for all, not some, but for all of our sins, past, present, and future, that Jesus Christ has obeyed the law for us, that as we put our faith in him, that he, that you, O Father, who, made him your son who knew no sin, that he became sin for us, that in him and in his perfect work we might become the very righteousness of Christ in your sight. O oh, Father, help us to have that sort of faith, that sort of trust. Then help us to live in accordance to your holy gospel, to live in a way that is obedient, to shine forth as lights of, for your kingdom's sake. Help us in this, for we pray it all in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. For our uh, concluding hymn, let's turn to 501 and we'll stand and sing 501. Lord, speak to me that I may speak 501.